Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. We're going through Romans in 2024 and uh, taking our time, trying not to miss any verses along the way. I know some of you are double checking. I appreciate that. We're doing our best. Uh, we're still in chapter one. I'm gonna talk about a couple of verses here this morning that are anchor, anchor verses for this letter. We'll come back to them. We'll unpack them even more in the weeks and months ahead. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Here's how I wanna get into this is just by asking you to bring to mind something you probably don't wanna bring to mind and that is an embarrassing moment. An embarrassing moment. And how do you respond when something embarrassing happens? So researchers have done some uh, research on this and they would say that embarrassing moments have one thing in common, that they involve unwanted attention. Meaning that if I'm, if I'm walking down the sidewalk and you know, I, I trip and there's nothing there, first thing I do instinctively is look around. Anybody see it? Because if nobody saw it, no big deal. But if somebody saw me trip over nothing, then I'm gonna have this desire to go back, to look at it, pretend like there's something there, a reason why I must have tripped, because I'm just, I'm aware that other people are watching. That's what makes it embarrassing. Like there are lots of examples of this. I mean, you could um, spill your drink at dinner, rip your pants in public, you might, uh, push on a door that says pull or pull on a door that says push. Uh, your stomach might growl during the service a little bit too loudly. Like we all have these embarrassing moments. What makes them embarrassing is the unwanted attention. It's the unwanted attention. Well, what comes to my mind when I think of like the most embarrassing moment for me, uh, it goes back to when I was 13, sitting in the back of church. I had a cast on my leg because of a high ankle sprain playing basketball. Already was feeling a little embarrassed because I had to wear shorts because of the cast, but my mom still made me wear a tie to church because that's how we rolled. And so I, I was already feeling some unwanted attention, but I'm sitting in the back of church with some high school buddies and I need to get up and use the restroom in the middle of the sermon. There's one guy sitting on the uh, aisle there that I have to step over in order to get out. Coincidentally, the kid who was sitting there, 14, 15 at the time, his name is John Weiss. He is the senior pastor at Southland Christian Church in Lexington. So you can verify this story with him. He actually tells the story in his sermons more than I do. And uh, I stepped over him like this, had my hands in my pocket trying to look cool. And my uh, other foot got stuck, stuck on John and I, I, my, this leg went out on me and I just went down hard, like face first, loud thud. I don't know if you've ever fallen with your hands in your pocket, but it creates like this instinctual dilemma because instinctively when you fall, everything in you says like put your hands forward. But in order to catch yourself, you have to pull them out and then push them forward. It's just a lot. And so I knocked myself out cold in church. And I'm told the pastor stops preaching, like he's like, what was that? But he can't see anything. And when I came to, this is true, I came to pretty quickly, but my 1989 braces, which are big braces, right? Like they took up most of your tooth back then. 
my 1989 braces had gotten stuck in the 1970s orange shag carpet at our church. Not bad, it wasn't bad stuff, but it was stuck and I just ripped myself free and I got out of there as quickly as possible. Now look, here's, here's what I didn't do. I didn't use the restroom and then come back and sit down. <laughs> like I hid, I hid. I, I did not want anybody to see me. I didn't wanna show my face around there. And this is just the instinctual response to embarrassing moments as we want to blend in, we don't wanna be noticed. And what I would tell you is for the believers in Rome, they were getting this unwanted attention, some embarrassment because of the gospel they believed. And the instinct for them would have been to say, ah, nothing to see here. Let, let's just kind of go into hiding. Let's not draw any more attention to ourselves than we already have. But Paul is gonna double down on the gospel and say, look, I'm not ashamed of it. And he starts the letter this way because he's gonna say some things that I think probably would have been embarrassing to believe in that culture. And we're gonna study some things. As we study Romans, where you're gonna think to yourself, did he just say that out loud? And so Paul wants to set that up. He's like, look, yeah, we're gonna talk about some things that might not go over real well in the world that you live in, whether that's Rome or our Western world today, but I'm not ashamed of it. And so Romans 1, 16 and 17, here's what he says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What do you think that means? It's a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He gives a, a few reasons here that I, I wanna draw your attention to to help give us courage and conviction. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Inherent in his statement is because it's good news. I mean, the gospel means good news. In fact, you might even have a translation that translates gospel as good news. And if you think about it, it would be really odd to be ashamed or embarrassed about good news. Who's embarrassed about good news? And that would just be off. If you're a doctor and you have a patient come in who's been dealing with some kind of illness and they've tried to figure out what's wrong and they've tried different treatments, nothing's worked, they come to you and you see what's wrong, like you know it and you know how to treat it, you know how to, to cure it. Well, that's not something you're ashamed to tell them. Now, yes, hearing their sickness may not be easy for them to hear, but you've got the cure. And so you'll say, here's what's wrong with you, and here's how we fix it. And that's good news. That's not something to be ashamed of. That's something to, to be proud of, something to be thankful that you can share. The gospel is the good news. It reveals our sin and our sickness, tells us the truth about that, which can be hard to hear. But it also gives us the cure. And so we can celebrate, we can celebrate it. So the word gospel, translated good news, we hear the word gospel and we put it in a spiritual context, right? Like if you hear gospel, chances are you connect that to, to church. But for those living in Rome who received this letter, that's not what they thought of when they heard gospel. They had in their minds a political picture because the gospel, the way they understood it, would be the good news proclaimed in the town square about something political. Right, so a new emperor comes on the scene and there's a person who's called a herald 
And the herald goes out heralding, proclaiming, saying, look, here, here's the good news. There's a new emperor, there's a new, new Caesar, there's a new king. And, and that's how they understood gospel, more in political, as a political uh, message rather than a spiritual message. But Paul's saying, look, here's some good news about a new king, his name is Jesus. And he's not, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm, I'm gonna herald this. I'm gonna herald this message. That's not a job that you are timid about. You get to be the person that shares the good news. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed because it's, it's good news. I'll be the herald. Second, I'm not ashamed because it's for everyone, right? Like if I was having a party and just inviting a few people, I might not make a big deal out of it, probably wouldn't announce it or post anything. about. But if it's for everyone, I'm not ashamed of it. If it's for everyone, I'm not gonna keep that a secret. I'll get up and tell everyone because everyone is invited. And this is true of the gospel. The gospel is for everyone. Now it's for everyone who believes, but everyone gets an invitation to believe. It's not just like, okay, you don't have to believe. It's just for everyone. It's everyone who believes. The invitation is universal. The power of salvation is limited to those who who believe. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it because it's for everyone. He says, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We'll see that language some as we study Romans. It's um, not about priority, it's about chronology. It's just a way of saying everybody's included. You might've thought this was just a Jewish thing. It's not just a Jewish thing. Like this is for everyone. Everyone gets an invitation. I'm not ashamed because it's for everyone. And Paul says here, he's like, <clears throat> it brings salvation to everyone who believes. It doesn't, it doesn't say it brings salvation to everyone who behaves. I think some of us grew up with that understanding of the gospel, that it is the power of salvation to everyone who behaves, who's religious enough, who follow the rules, You'd be a good boy, good girl. The gospel is for you. It's not the gospel. The gospel is for everyone who believes. So no matter how you have behaved, the gospel is still for you. Now, it calls us to live righteous lives. It, it changes us, our affection, but it's for everyone who believes. And for the people living in Rome, this just would have been hard to hear. It would have been hard to hear because in Rome, it wasn't, um, it wasn't acceptable to say this is the way. A few things about Roman culture that would have made it easy for these believers to be a little embarrassed. is First, that Rome was a very uh, polytheistic culture. They worshiped many gods. And so in Rome, like the only thing they didn't tolerate is uh, you know, intolerance. Yeah, they're high on tolerance. So you believe anything you wanna believe as long as you don't believe that what you believe is the only thing that people should believe. As long as you don't believe that your way is the only way. So if the Christians would've come in and said, hey, we believe in Jesus, he's the one we worship, the Romans would be like, cool. You, you do you, like whatever. Like you've got your God, we've got our gods. The problem became that the Christians believe in one true God and that there's one way to God and that's through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. 
that would not have gone over very, wouldn't have gone over very well. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, Romans called, people living in Rome at that time called Christians atheists because they only believed in one God. They just thought, man, that's so weird. They only believe in one God. Another reason why they might have been a little embarrassed in this culture is that Rome was a, a really hedonistic culture. It would be hard to overstate the level of sexual depravity in Rome. I'm, I won't go into examples uh, this week, but we'll look at this in uh, a, little, a little more depth in a couple of weeks. But <clears throat> like the sexual depravity in Rome was on such a level that it, it wouldn't be acceptable, or for that matter, even legal in, in our world today. And it would have been natural for the believers to be a little embarrassed because of their sexual ethic. They knew that their sexual ethic was an indictment on everybody else. They knew that their sexual ethic is one of the things that differentiated them with the rest of the culture. And it would have been tempting to just say, oh, you know, let's not make that big of a deal about this. But Paul's gonna make a big deal out of it. Third, Rome was a city that worshiped power. So if you go to Rome, you'll see statues, um, lots of um, images of rulers, gods. They worshiped, they worshiped power. Christians worshiped a God who died on a cross. It's embarrassing in that culture. For the Romans, dying on a cross would have been the most demeaning possible death. In fact, Paul, who's a Roman citizen, when he's executed, he's not crucified because you're not allowed to crucify a Roman citizen. It's too, too demeaning, too belittling, so Paul was beheaded. Jesus died the most demeaning death. And now these believers in this culture of power are saying, this is who we worship. Well, that's not that is not attractive to people living in Rome. And, and so you can see why maybe it would have been, you know, tempting for them to not want the attention, like just to withdraw. It's especially so because Nero is on the scene now and he's, he is emperor and he's a few years away from burning the city of Rome, blaming Christians and then going on a massive um, persecution of, of the early church. So was, they were feeling that pressure. Would have been easy just to say, ah, we're just gonna step back here. We're just gonna hide. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed because it's good news. I'm not ashamed because it's for everyone. I'm not ashamed because it is, it's powerful. I'm not ashamed because it's powerful. And in, in verse 17, he says, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God. It doesn't say that the gospel tells us the power of God. It doesn't say that the gospel shows us the power of God. It says it is the power of God. Like the good news about Jesus has power in it. So what we have a tendency to do is to think that that's not quite enough. And so what, what we'll do is we'll take the gospel, the good news, and we'll kind of turn it into good advice because that feels a little more empowering. Maybe we can apply that a little bit easier. And so we come to church, we open up our Bibles, and, and it's not so much about good news, it's about good advice, but the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. Doesn't mean that there isn't good advice in the Bible. Sure, yeah, there's a lot of truth to 
meditate on and to apply to your life, but it's, it's not what changes you or transforms you. It, it's the gospel that does that. And so all of that good advice has to be built on a foundation of the good news. But sometimes I think we rob the gospel of its power by treating it like good advice instead of good news. What, what happens oftentimes in the church is that because we can be a little embarrassed by how countercultural scripture can be, we'll try to water it down just to make it a little easier for people. Meanwhile, but in doing so, I think we often rob it of its power. Like, we're, we're just trying to make it a little more, you know, palatable, just a little, just easier to swallow. So we water it down. I, I remember reading in the news a story about uh, a pharmacist named Robert Courtney. He went to prison. He went to prison because he watered down, he diluted chemo medication for patients, 98,000 prescriptions. Affected of like 4,200 patients. Uh, I think if I remember right, there were 17 patients that died because they got this watered down chemo, this watered down medication. He made about $19 million from that fraud, was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Now, if you would have talked to Robert Courtney at the beginning of that, my gut says that he had ways of justifying it that he would have said, oh, listen, it's overprescribed. And, and it's just so hard on these people physically. I see, I see how hard it is on their bodies when they take this medication. So I'm, I'm yeah, do I benefit from it? I, I, I do, but I also think it's, what's, I think it's what's best for them. Like I imagine he had some ways initially of just explaining it away, but it's evil. Because here's someone who was trusted with the power to save, trusted with this life-saving medication, and he watered it down so much so that it, it lost its power. And, and so when we do that as believers, we might have some different ways that we justify, well, look, I, you know, it's a lot for people to, to handle uh, it, it's, it's, I can see it's hard on folks when we talk about sin in this way. So let, let's just soften that a little bit. Let's just massage these things in, into our culture so it feels a, just a little easier to handle. But we are robbing the gospel of the power to save. It can, it can be hard to receive because it, it's an, an indictment on us, but it's also the, what saves us. And so what I think we end up doing sometimes is we settle for something less than a gospel with that kind of power. We settle sometimes, I think, for like this feel-good emotionalism where you come to church and you decide whether or not it was a good morning based on, did it make me feel good? Or, or you know, we settle for, instead of the power of the gospel, for some inspiring platitudes I'm like, what can I put up on the screen here that might get reposted? Be really inspirational. Uh, there's nothing wrong with feeling good, nothing wrong with some inspiring platitudes. But there's no power in those things to save us. Are we settled for self-help? Some version of that. I think if you ask somebody who does that, I think they would say, well, look, I, I'm just trying to be relevant. I just wanna be relevant to the culture but, but here's what I would say, and I think what was hard for people in Rome to understand, and it could be hard for us too, we'll probably need to remind each other of this along the way. I'm sure we will. 
What makes the gospel relevant is not that it's like our culture, it's that it's not like our culture, right? Like that's what makes it powerful. If the gospel just was saying what everyone else says, then there's not much power in it. What makes it powerful is not that it's like our culture, it's that it's not like our culture. And so instead of being ashamed of how it's different, we're unashamed because this is where it's powerful. And so as a church, we don't try to stay relevant by reframing God's word based on popular opinion or by like celebrity comments, like this progressive theology where you, you look at scripture through the lens of culture and then you try to make it fit, make everything kind of copacetic so it's not too threatening to people. Uh, let me give you a quick example of what I think this looks like. And I think this example is not awesome. That's the best I could come up with. It does, it does break down. I, I'll just acknowledge that. A few years ago, I was in Mexico with my wife and they had these stores, souvenir stores lined up. There's like, I don't know, 20 of them next to one another. We go to the first one and they sell these, I don't know, trinkets, these souvenirs. And we go to the second store and they sell the same trinkets, souvenirs. Not like the kind of the same, like exactly the same, exactly the same. Third store, same as the first two. Fourth store, same as the first three. Like everybody is selling the exact same thing. I get to the 10th store and I just can't not say something. And I talk to the guy who's running the store, speaks pretty good English. And, and I said, hey, have you ever thought about selling something different than what everybody else is offering? And he said, and it's a really logical response. He said, why would I sell something different if this is what everyone is buying? Yeah, 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 but maybe everyone's buying it because that's what everyone is selling. Maybe if you offered something different, you'd find that people would buy. And we, we, were, we weren't gonna agree on this. And he certainly knows more about it than I do. But what I would say is that when you're just offering what everybody else is offering, you're irrelevant. And, and so this is what happens with churches who are so concerned with fitting into the market they start dying because they're not offering anything distinctive. It's just the same thing the world offers. Now, listen to me. The church isn't a store. The gospel's not a product. I said it broke down. It breaks down like that doesn't, I get it. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that in our consumer-based culture, where everything around us is trying to make people comfortable and say, here's how we can make your life better and here's what you need and you can have it your way. When the church has that same posture, we're irrelevant. We're just doing what everybody else does. We're not offering anything different. And the gospel, for it to have the power to save, cannot be watered down. I really appreciate the way D.A. Carson describes what it looks like when we water it down. He calls it, <clears throat> he calls it domesticating the gospel. And here's what I would say, that we domesticate the gospel when we talk about God, but we don't wanna talk about Jesus. We domesticate the gospel when we turn the message of surrender into a message of self-empowerment and self-help. We domesticate the gospel when we preach about salvation, but we don't talk about sin. We domesticate the gospel when we're more concerned with offending someone than we are saving someone. We domesticate the gospel when we leave out the uncomfortable parts because we want people to like us. We domesticate the gospel when we shrink the mission of the church down to meeting my needs and preferences, making me feel good. We domesticate the gospel by making it nothing 
more than a moral code, list of do's and don'ts. We domesticate the gospel when we talk about a relationship with Jesus apologetically, where we say, hey, here's what it takes to follow Jesus. I know it's a, I know it's a lot to ask. Don't do that. We domesticate the gospel when we put it in a box called religion. We domesticate the gospel when we say Jesus is good, but he isn't good enough. You're gonna have to earn this on your own. We domesticate the gospel when we're more concerned about being on the right side of history than the right side of eternity. We domesticate the gospel when we make it sound less like good news and more like a raw deal. And when we do that, we rob it of its power. Now, what I would say is that I think for a lot of us, I'll just speak for me. There are times where I feel a little ashamed. I find myself, I think, I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want to say it that way. I don't want to, I don't want to offend. I want to make sure. And what I would say is when I do that, it's because I, I am not believing in the power that I've experienced. And if I stop and I think about what the gospel has done for me, oh, I'm not ashamed. When I think about the sins that God has forgiven in my life, when I think about the, the way that he's changed my heart and the way he's changed the hearts of people that I know and love, when I think about how he has saved, <laughs> I am not ashamed because I believe it. I really, I really believe it. And I think for us, it's, do I really believe this? I mean, do I really believe this power is real? Five or six years ago, I shared uh, one of my favorite all-time moments in my life. I'd love to share it again here. I, um, I was speaking in New York New York City, and I took my wife with me. It was over our anniversary, and we went to go see a play in New York City. And, and at, um, in the middle of it, you know, or the halftime or intermission, whatever, whatever they call that, I, we all stood up, and the guy sitting next to me introduced himself. He said he was an attorney. He was there with his daughter who just graduated from high school. She waved and smiled. I said, oh, well, we're here celebrating our anniversary. I've actually got young, young daughters at home. And he smiled and, and said, oh, I remember when she was little. And he said, I remember when she was six years old. And he just said very naturally, very comfortably, he said, can I tell you what happened to me when she was six that just changed the kind of father I was? I said, yeah. He said, the first six years of my daughter's life, I worked constantly. I spent little time with her. I wasn't a very good father or husband for that matter. He said I was often angry and I didn't know why and I was always busy. But then this attorney says to me, he says, but something happened and a friend of mine invited me to church. It's about this time in the conversation, I'm like, I think this lawyer is gonna tell me about Jesus. <laughs> and it, like, there's part of it that felt like the beginning of a joke. Hey, did you hear about the pastor and the lawyer who went to a Broadway play? And like, <laughs> I wasn't sure how it was gonna all unfold, but I was interested. He said, I didn't wanna go to church at first, but he kept asking, I finally agreed. He said, I never thought too much of 
too, thought too highly of organized religion. I'm like, me, me, me neither. And, I, and he said, I still don't. But I discovered, he said, I discovered a relationship with Jesus Christ and it changed my life. He's telling me this is an intermission of this play. He said, my life was a mess and Jesus changed my life. I've, I've experienced so much joy as a father and husband. And then he looked at me and he said, it was the best thing I ever did. And I know I should have, I probably said, hey, you know, I'm a pastor. But he was on a roll and I, I was kind of loving it. And, and he said, I know we don't know each other, but I just wanted to tell you about how glad I was that I made that decision when she was six. And it's just made all the difference in our lives. And the show started back up. I had tears in my eyes. Not, not really because of the story on stage, more because of the story of the guy sitting next to me. And also, because it hadn't really occurred to me to, to say anything like that to him that he was so unashamed, he wasn't gonna let me leave without me knowing about the best decision he'd ever made. The word is herald. I'm not ashamed, I'll proclaim it, I'll, I'll, I'll speak it, I'll say it, even if it's not popular, even if people don't understand. I just wanna challenge you this week to be a herald of the gospel. There's some ways you can do that. When, when you go and ask a friend, how can I pray for you? You're doing that. When, when you check in on a coworker, you, who you know is going through a difficult time and they know about your love for Jesus and, and you check in on them and you show care for them, they connect that. When you invite a neighbor to come to church with you, when you bow your head and say a prayer at a business lunch, even though it might feel a little embarrassing, when you're baptized, oh yeah, that's what this is. It is a proclamation of the gospel. In a few minutes, we'll see people baptized. And when they're baptized, they are saying, I believe, I'm not ashamed. I believe in the gospel. Jesus died and he rose again. And I'm putting all my hope and trust in him. And when you do that, here's what happens. I mean, it happens all the time, it is the most common baptism story is somebody comes because someone they know is getting baptized and they just wanna be supportive. But then they start thinking and before you know it, they're the ones in the baptistry getting baptized and now they've got some of their friends or family coming. It is a proclamation of the gospel. One way you can be a herald these days is on social media. I, just, I would challenge you to do this, right? Like whether it's posting a scripture it's, it's a proclamation. It just lets the people in your circle know, oh, he's, he is not ashamed of the gospel. She believes in the power of Jesus. Or, or if you go to like, I don't know, like a game or a concert, chances are you post something like that if you're active on social media. I, I would challenge you to do that when you come to church. Like what an easy, great way to just proclaim, I'm not ashamed of this. 
I know this week we'll all have opportunities to not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of salvation. One of the things I wanna do here as we end though is I want us to have an opportunity to put this into practice before we leave. I want us to have an opportunity to not be ashamed today. And, and so the Bible says that it, the power of the gospel is a power to save. It saves us from our sin eternally. It makes us right from God, but it also saves us from our sin in other ways. And that's what I want us to declare together. I wanna give you a chance to not be ashamed, but to recognize that your story gives you opportunity to give glory to God, to proclaim his power in your life. So I'm gonna read through a list of things. And, and if... If one of these describes you, then I'm gonna ask you to stand and to stay standing. If more than one describes you, you know, I don't know, while you're standing, raise a hand. If, if more than two describe you, raise another hand. Uh, if, if more than that dis- describe you, you, you can start a slow clap for us. You can do that, okay? I, I don't know, find, find some way. Um, so would you, stand, would you stand up if Jesus, at some point in your life, has saved you from an addiction of some kind. Do you stand up? That's true of you? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Grateful for you brothers, man. Would you stand up if, if Jesus at some point just like saved your marriage? You're not sure where you would be if it wasn't for Jesus and your marriage. Would you stand up if that's true for you? Yeah, stay standing. Would you stand up if Jesus saved one of your children like you prayed for them and you weren't sure how things were gonna turn out for them or what path your son or daughter would choose, but Jesus saved them? Would you stand up if Jesus has saved you from depression or anxiety? Doesn't mean you don't still struggle, but because of Jesus, you have a hope and there's light in the darkness. Would you stand up if Jesus saved you from a life without real purpose? Like maybe you were caught up in your work and making money in kind of the Roman way, trying to be successful, but he saved you from a life of meaningless pursuit. He's given you eternal purpose. If that's true of you, would you stand up? Would you stand up or raise a hand? got a hand left to raise. If Jesus saved you from religion and the weight of having to be good enough to earn God's love, has he saved you from that? Has he saved you from guilt and shame, saved you from your past? Has Jesus saved you from anger and bitterness? Maybe like for a long time you were angry and you had every reason to be, but he's freed your heart from that. Like you don't, you don't live there anymore. Has he freed you from that? Has he saved you from that? Verse 17, listen, verse 17, stay standing. Verse 17 says, the righteousness of God is being revealed. What does that mean? Look around. This is what that means. That Jesus makes us right. It's not our own righteousness. It's because he's done for us what we could never have done on our own. And so we will not be ashamed of the gospel. We will herald it, we will proclaim it because it is the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. Let's pray. God, may that be true of this 
Church family, I pray that you would let us be bold and courageous. I pray that you would let us encourage each other and lift each other up. Recognize that it is your power that saves and your power alone. I pray, God, that, that even as we study Romans, you would, you would give us the courage to step out if we've been hiding, if we've been trying to do this in the shadows, that you would give us a boldness that comes out of a deep love for you, God, and a belief in your power and a deep love for other people. God, would you let us herald and proclaim loudly that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.